0: This is Gil Manser welcoming you to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCBFM. Today's guest is Tony Kashani, author of Movies Changed Lives. And since I'm a syndicated film columnist to use his film clips in my seminars, it should be a fast-paced show. Tony Kashani was born in Tehran, Iran to Azerbaijani parents. He received his bachelor's degree in radio and television and later his master's degree in cinema studies from San Francisco State University and holds a Ph.D. degree in humanities with an emphasis on cultural studies from California Institute of Integral Studies. Tony is a media studies instructor and interdisciplinary scholar at SRJC and is the author of five books on media, Deconstructing the Mystique, Hollywood's Exploited, Public Pedagogy, Corporate Movies and Cultural Studies, Lost in Media, Ethics of Everyday Life, and the one we'll be talking about today, Movies Change Lives, Pedagogy of Humanistic Transformation. On a personal side, Tony is a practicing black belt and karate, and as a student of Zen philosophy, he believes in balancing his life with mindfulness to result in a harmonious mind-body-spirit existence. Wow, Tony. Tony. I want to welcome you to Word by Word. Thank you for having me. This is an honor. Okay. First off, why don't you elaborate a bit on our, to our listeners what you mean uh, in the title about the pedagogy of constructive humanistic transformation through cinema. Yeah. That's a mouthful. That's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> yes. You have to stop and look at it.
1: Yes, yes. So in, in many ways, uh, the book has two titles. Movies change lives to look at the macro approach and and have easy access to thinking about films. Uh, Most people refer to films as movies, uh, although I prefer the term cinema, Mm -hmm. uh, hence the the subtitle, which uh, refers to the theories that I lay out in the book uh, in order to set a foundation for understanding how my proposal uh, for certain films with uh, a certain amount of substance – and have the potential to personally transform the audience, but also do more, perhaps. Uh, and uh, that is the person after transformation, personal transformation, takes action to transform his or her community, city, state, nation, the world. Uh, you know, we'll reach for the stars, as it were. Right, yeah. right. So pedagogy is the science, philosophy, and methodology of teaching, in my assumption— Uh, about cinema is that movies are like little teaching machines. And and given that they teach the audience behavior, uh, approach to uh, gender roles, uh, seeing the world, let's just say building a paradigm for one's uh, everyday life, they do become very powerful, potent machines. And and so we look at them te- as teachers. And, and so, hence the title, and of course, the other parts, it's trying to be as exact as possible in accordance to the theory that i originated and, and laid out in the book.
0: Let me ask you a question because sure. you teach young people in, in the JC as well as, you know, olders and seniors. Yes. Do younger people look at movies through different eyes than we did? When we were in the theater, we didn't have 55 different competing Mm -hmm. screens all trying to grab our, you know, time and energy. That's a really good question.
1: Something that I I ponder uh, on a regular basis because, you know, nowadays people uh, have different sized screens, different types of uh, approach to uh, engaging with with films, Uh, whether it's on a big flat screen at home Mm -hmm. or on a big screen at at the theaters that uh, some of the audiences are listening uh, our listeners on the radio perhaps uh, don't know this but the theaters are getting filled up uh on a regular basis so it's not like you know people everybody's downloading movies or renting movies or buying them people are going to the movies but then at the same time they're consuming them as it were so young people are are used to the the multitude of uh engagement with films Whereas uh, the older generations, uh, you know, it was a traditional approach. You go to the movies to see the big screen, the silver screen, as it were. It was an event for -hmm. for, for many folks. And to some extent in, in smaller towns, quieter communities and so forth, still remains an event. Now, how one engages with film can determine the extent to which one can engage at a deeper level where transformation could take place. And and that's uh, in in some ways I, I look at it through a, a simple algorithm. If you have basic media literacy, which one could say that most of our young people, particularly in Northern California, you could say, uh, do have, uh, and and you have a an awareness, a, a basic awareness, uh, you're cognizant of the conflicts within yourself as well as the conflicts uh, external to you, uh, you know, within community, within nation, and within the world, uh, when you enter the theater and the suspension of disbelief takes over, then it doesn't matter whether it's a small screen, a big screen, uh, a tiny screen on your uh, iPhone, and so on. Uh, You are immersed into this uh, fantastic, you know, fictional world uh, as it were, even with documentaries, that is the case. And uh, so, with having those ingredients, one plus two plus three plus four, and then your willingness to engage with film could result in all of that equaling a, a possible transformation. Now, transformation may not take place immediately after you engage with the film, but if the film stays with you, you can't go to bed and sleep. Uh, for a couple of nights, then it's a good sign. You've been disturbed internally. And uh, once a disturbance takes place, um, you know, psychological state changes, uh, awareness about the world changes. And, and depending on the extent to which that film has given you the ingredients to raise your level of consciousness, then you change. And you as the audience. And then given your level of education and and the privileges and and the power at hand and so forth, you can change the world around you. And that's what I mean by movies changing lives, not just individual lives but uh, social settings.
0: Mm -hmm. The movies that are directed at young people often have a dystopian future, which is hardly – Mm-hmm. Positive thought, not a new idea. I mean, you know, we go back to the '30s and the '20s to see similar movies. Um, but there's usually a young, you know, teen protagonist who rises up against whatever the problem is. Maybe gathers people around them and then mm-hmm. goes off to fight the battle, whatever it might be. Right. You know, with either goblins or orcs or or you know people in suits. Mm-hmm. So. I assume that's fulfilling a um a, a mythology of today. It's really providing certainly the the Harry Potter, mm-hmm. you know, touched a, a generations of people. It made it brought people so that they began to read, which was, you know, had been a kind of a, a wasteland for a long right. period of time. And uh, at, you know, educators are thanking uh, J.K. Rowling over and over again because that happened and, you know, it opened up. So we're, they're not only seeing things on the screen, they're reading things on their screens mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I liked the idea that you said that they're a media savvy bunch of people in Northern California specifically. And uh, I find that true, you know, when I work with, with young people as well. They know they're when they're being manipulated. And they go along with it to a certain point And then they'll reach that, whatever, that personal you know, don't go any farther is, and as you say, stay awake at night and and wrestle with it, and maybe talk about it mm-hmm. so um I like the way you kind of went and and divided your book up into the what I would guess we'll call the normal subjects of how you classify movies, you know, that historically that we've looked at over the last hundred and so years. And you, you talk about film noir and documentaries and dissident cinema and romantic comedies as different groups, and then several others as well. In the film noir, you picked, da 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 Double Indemnity, 1944, <laughs> Billy Wilder's, Wilder's film starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck yes. as the quintessential Film noir, I don't remember the wet streets in there, but I think, you know, the, the dark shadows and yes. things like yes. that, certainly, where the German expressionists, you know, come across so so strongly. And, and then you you gave some other examples of film noir which people might not have thought that way. So can you share some of those? Um, are you referring to the postmodern? Yes. Noirs such yeah. as Croupier yeah.
1: that I discuss in the book? Uh, well, let's talk about Croupier Okay, because it happens to be one of my favorites.
0: It's time. an it's astoundingly it's strong cool. film, and yeah. I'm surprised so many people have not seen it. So it's a yeah. recommendation to go search it out.
1: I think at the time, Clive Owen Clive was Owen. not a star. He was not on. He'd on done Green Fingers, race. I think.
0: Was that before or yeah, around done that time? Few films before yeah.
1: he was. You know, he's been acting a long time, right. but it, that particular film uh, gave him the platform. To sort of showcase his range, mm-hmm. as it were. So he, he's a strong element in the film. Uh, well, it, as I discuss uh, film noir in the book, and this is something, you know, it's not original theory. It's something that I've been trained in, in learning about noir and so on. Uh, is that noir is, is essentially an existentialist film mm-hmm. a form. And uh, the form and content, you know, the dark shadows and, and uh, the use of shadows, not using so much light and perhaps staying away from uh, stage lights and, you know, the whole classic three-point lighting of Hollywood and so on is, is thrown out the window with film noir. Things are gritty. Things are, are uh, realistic but in a uh, in a fantastic cinematic form. And with Croupier – you Almost have- like
0: Sin City, that next – you know,
1: step. Right, right. Sin right. City is, it takes it to the, 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 for lack of a better term, post post noir, if you like. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if I can subscribe to uh, to that notion that Sin City is more quintessentially noir than others. But, anyways, coming back to, to Croupier, uh, Clive Owens' character is uh, a croupier, a, a dealer at the casino, you know. Right. Uh,
0: uh, which most of us uh, originally saw James, in the James Bond movie. Yes,
1: yeah, yes, that's absolutely. So we were introduced to it. Absolutely. Um, so he is—he's a writer. He's a writer like you and I, and he—he uh, he likes to see the world from the outside, like the voyeur that is in charge of creating a universe uh, of his own. And uh, he—the film is a critique of death of writing right? Mm-hmm. And, and how uh, neoliberalism, in many ways, you know, free market fundamentalism has taken over the publishing world and how authors have become these hacks that, that produce, you know, sensationalist things for consumption. Right. And uh, the film over and over makes references to that. And uh, some people could see that and say, well, this is nihilistic because this guy, the, the protagonist uh, slash, you know, anti-hero uh, doesn't really care about anything. He's He steps outside the moral universe that most of us live in and he doesn't care, you know, if bad guys are winning or the good guys are being destroyed and and all the rest of it. But I tend to argue against that uh, because the way in which I I see the film is that the film is actually a mirror or rather it works like a mirror for us to take a look at our own moral standing in, in the universe and so the croupier character goes through a few transformations throughout the uh, the film. Uh, I don't want to give away the plot right. and because it, it is an entertaining film.
0: But we do have the femme fatale. Absolutely, Absolutely we have do. to have the femme fatale. Well, we, have, the world. we have
1: actually uh, three different three. Yeah. femme fatales. Yeah. His girlfriend who is uh, Miss Goody Two Shoes is trying to do the right thing and uh, she tries to control him but he spins out of control. Then there is the girlfriend who is another croupier, uh, enters the picture and then exits the picture. And then at the end of the film, we see her appear. Uh, and I, I won't mention no, no. how this That's happens. Right. Uh, and then there is the uh, the woman who lures him like a classic femme fatale, mm-hmm. uh, like Barbara stambic of uh, Devil Indemnity, lures him into this uh, plot that they have uh, set up to uh, – to rob the, the casino that he's working in, and he's the inside man, and so forth and so on. Uh, but Croupier he is the ultimate existentialist uh, moral mirror, if you like. Right. Well, he's also yeah.
0: because he's a writer, he convinces himself that all these things that are going on around him are, you know, fodder for him to write about. They are, to be sure. And
1: here's and the, actually the the writer of this the screenplay. Gives us clues to the process because the story changes a little bit. Uh, there is that one particular scene where he goes and his uh, his girlfriend has been killed. Mm-hmm. Right? He goes to the morgue to identify right. the body and right. then the, the ex-boyfriend, the detective, enters the room and he's talking about uh, she went to see his mother. No, 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 no. Her mother, and, and this is the narration, the voiceover narration is happening, so giving us clues that hey he's writing the story. things are changing. you know he writes one scene and he goes back and, and writes another scene, and in some ways it's the formula for existentialist philosophy that you there is no purpose for your existence in this world. You are responsible for writing your story
0: which indemnity is true because he's Absolutely. dictating it. On the Dictaphone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there are Sunset par-
0: Boulevard, another Billy Wilder, Absolutely. same thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, you know you're noir. Well.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're going to shift a little bit because yes. I noticed that you have uh, used a collection in you, – you basically talk about 10 movies in your book. But there's others you talk yes. about as well. Yes. And in the uh, interview or discussion that, you know, that Dan Taylor did for the Press Democrat, you talked about seven movies. So you mm-hmm. added a few more. To them. But I noticed that a lot many of the films are science fiction. I guess you could but you don't have that as a category necessarily. No, I
1: don't. Uh but I do have an affinity for science fiction that is actually connected to uh uh I'll say real science but controversial science, such mm-hmm. as uh quantum theory, string theory. In fact, uh I'm, I'm writing a novel. When I say <laughs> I'm writing a novel, it's like I've written one chapter. Ah. You know how it is. You talk to any American, you know, everybody's got a novel. <laughs> but uh, I'm writing a novel that is connected to, uh, you know, it, it's founded upon uh, the idea of quantum theory. And then Jungian psychology enters a picture, uh, which goes back to my training at uh, at CIS when I was working on my Ph.D. program. Uh, it was interdisciplinary. So we did a lot of psychology, depth psychology, which you're familiar with. And... Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I do have an affinity like uh, the discussion on Matrix and the discussion on the movie Her, mm-hmm. uh, which are two of the films that I've chosen to be the 10 films. Right. Now, that was a strategy that was suggested to me by the editor, uh, the, the Peter Lang publishing, uh, that pub- has published this book for me. I discussed with the editor. And I said, well, you know, I've got so many films that I want to discuss right. in this book, and but I don't want the book to be this thick, you know, theoretically – you know, filled book where people are just look at it, like, oh there's another academic or another book for graduate students. Forget about it, you know. I want to learn about the films. And and um he suggested to me to uh pick ten films. Mm-hmm. Because you know, people are always thinking about, you know, at least he gave 10 you this. ten.
0: He didn't say pick your best film. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. awful when somebody uh, asks that question? Yeah, What's your favorite yeah. film? Well know. it depends on the day of the week. <laughs> That's
1: right. I I like to be rude and say, hey, well, that's a stupid question, but I can't. I just can't do it. Yes, you
0: can. <laughs> I won't do it to you again. Okay, well, you've got five films that I I pulled out of the book okay. that you talk about that I classify as science fiction. The oldest one was 1982. It's Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, mm-hmm. which is a mind-blowing film at the time. I just watched it recently, and it was the director's cut. Oh, good. There are, I believe, five or six different versions of this movie out there. At least. It is the movie that really made the uh, internet realize that, uh, you know, videos, home videos, was a way to watch films and stop them and play, you know, reverse them and then play that scene again if you didn't yes. catch it the other time. So it's a very important for the educational psyche of our culture. Yes. Film. It also raised the questions that you raise in your book about what it means to be a human. Right, the nature
1: of reality. The nature it's of a, reality. It is an ultimately a metaphysical film. You know, uh, just last night I was watching one episode of HBO's new series. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, Westworld.
0: I haven't seen that yeah. one yet. No, I've seen uh, previews for it. But yes. I Aside from – I like to binge watch, so I like there to be a whole oh, series you, you of – Oh, you
1: want it to be done and I then go to, and sit down. And, yes. <laughs> just do it. It's a good strategy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was watching uh, this episode of Westworld, which is you know, brilliantly done. But I could see how the creators of this uh, series have looked at Blade Runner and have uh, poached Blade Runner <laughs> right. in many ways – Without giving it credit, right. you know, I would give homage to Blade Runner. And, and I wonder if Ridley Scott is, is seeing this and saying, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an interview or, or do something in <laughs> protest and say – or maybe he just doesn't
0: care. His son's you know. not involved in this, no? Uh, no? No, not that I know of. Oh,
1: okay. No, I, I could be wrong. Yeah. You know, well, uh, no, then uh, we'll get back on the radio and say, hey, we yeah, retract yeah, that yeah, statement. That's right. But, but in any case, it is uh, – what is, what is the meaning of being human? And the extent to which, like today, when we talk about artificial intelligence and, and how we are approaching in uh, new reality, because reality, let's face it, is not what it used to be. You know, we are, uh, <laughs> when we were naive realists. Right? When we thought, oh, hey, this is reality. I'm, I'm hitting the table, makes a sound, and my hand hurts. That's reality, and everything else is just, you know, fiction and fantasy. No, it's
0: all in your head. I'm not really yeah. here. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. solipticism, right. Right? Right. But... Uh, Blade Runner gives us clues to today. And, and it's interesting because it's dystopic, it's futuristic, and,
0: and it's about what, the year 2025? Um, they were born in 2017. Mm-hmm. So they have four years to live. So what does that make it? 2002 or th- I mean, 22 or 23? 20, yeah. 21, 22. Yeah, well, something like that.
1: In any case, we're not there yet, right? but we're very close. We're close. <laughs> um, and Think about, you know, how not only the younger generations, millennials, but, you know, uh, older generations. Like I consider myself an immigrant in the digital uh, world, but digital natives, they live in this kind of reality that is uh, constantly uh, traveling back and forth from virtual reality to physical reality. And while they're in the physical reality, they're also uh, conducting themselves in virtual reality. And so are we, you know, in many ways. And uh, so Blade Runner is, is talking about, you know, where where do we stand as human beings thinking ourselves as the uh, the owners of the universe, if you like? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not. We're not. You know, we're going to reach a point where the androids, you know, when the, does the android dream of the electronic sheep is the book that right. this is Bill based Dick. on. Uh the, the, the androids decide that, you know, we're obsolete. We, why do we need humans? I mean, think about it. I mean, Schopenhauer said it famously. says, you know, human existence is an error. You know, and he wasn't so wrong, I think. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Combination of
0: circumstances.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's right. So the film is really asking that, that major question. It's also a film yeah. noir, isn't it? Absolutely film noir. And in fact, in film schools, I don't know if they still do that, but, you know, in NYU and San Francisco State and places where they tend to be the the leading film schools, they use that film as the pioneering postmodern noir or uh, uh, Jim Kitsis used to uh, call it tech noir. Mm -hmm. So uh, it it is tech noir. And then there are other films have been made that kind of copied uh, that model, if you like. But nothing really comes close Not to – Not as original. No. 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 And perhaps we're we'll just being – And the
0: sets are astounding for their – They update. are. 1982. They
1: are. Yeah. And uh, it was incredible. Yeah. It, it continues to be incredible. I think that's um, who was Harrison Ford's uh, best film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, At well, least really in my opinion. Act yeah. In it. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: It's interesting. And in the next one you talk about is Andrew Nichols' Gattaca.
1: Oh now, yes. I, yeah. I
0: I heard somewhere that this was not a film noir. What's that? it would be a film blanc because everything is bright and shiny. <laughs> All right. Right. That's a nice um well, say it's, it's a segue. But there again, it's about what makes us human. Yeah. And in that in this future, um we don't have replicants or cloned no. human beings. We have um carefully selected before birth, right. uh, genetically mo- modified if we can call that, GMO uh humans.
1: Yes, yes, yes. That's a, a, a nice um, analogy, if you like. Uh, the GMO food and then humans. It, you know, given the, uh, the ridiculous conditions of the, the political climate that we have today.
0: Mm. and uh, <laughs> We could spend another hour on right, that. Right. Yes. How
1: neo-fascism is. We could become.
0: talk about movies that reflect Absolutely. Gattaca yes.
1: is, is, I yes. think it's a requirement for yeah. people to, at least on November 7th, you know, they need to see Gattaca. And then on I've November already 8, voted. You voted? Okay, yeah. so – but you've seen Gattaca before. Yes. So. Okay, so you meet the requirements. Still, yeah. But uh, I'm going to uh, declare here on radio that – oh, wait, wait a minute. This is going to be broadcast after the election. Yeah, 11th, yeah. Uh, okay, so well then forget about it. You know, it's a moot point. You should
0: have seen that Gattaca.
1: Yeah, you should have seen. Yeah, we could <laughs> do a I told you so thing depending on who gets elected, right. which, you know – the lesser of the two evils kind of a story, you know, again, enters a picture. But Gattaca is, is a film that, again, uh, puts a moral mirror in, in front of us and forces us to really think deeply about who are we? Uh, are we able to see ourselves as equal partners in this business of, you know, uh, existing through the ecosystem? Or uh, do we continue to be what we have been throughout history? Where some humans, you know, gain power and decide to start a system of ranking of who is best fit to represent us as leaders. Well, of, we have of, a
0: presidential yeah. candidate who thinks he knows.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, he shall remain nameless. He shall on, be, on this, be program on this program.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have to take a break. Let me real scroll down to do that. You are listening to Word-by-Word Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCBFM, where today's guest is, hold on a sec, <laughs> Tony Kishani, author of Movies Change Lives. And since I'm a syndicated film columnist who uses film clips in my seminars, we have talked about several films which meet Tony's label as Transformative. We have lots more movies to talk about, so stay tuned right here to KRCBFM. Do you want to continue talking about the science fiction movies? Because the Truman Show is next. Truman I did this show. only in order of when they came out. Okay. Because Truman I think show. it shows an interesting, uh, okay. as you were talking about, build on the one before. Mm-hmm. Now, Truman's show is directed by Peter Weir. But mm-hmm. interestingly enough, it was written by Andrew Nichol, who did the Gattaca. Gattaca. Yeah. yeah. He's from New Zealand, I think. Yeah. 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 He's from either uh, New Zealand or Australia. Australia. I, I forget. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the archipelagos. mm mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And this setup is that a, a young boy has been raised in an artificial dome environment that looks like it has an ocean, but the other side of the ocean is actually a painted backdrop like you would find in the mm-hmm. old, you know, Hollywood sets. Right where they used to paint right. clouds on the blue right. Right. wall, and uh, he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he has a girlfriend. Everybody else around him is part of the the inn. They, you know they know the right. the secret, but he's he doesn't. Um, so talk about that a little bit. The Truman
1: Show. The Truman Show. The Truman Show is a polyvalent film to the core, and what I mean by that is it has so many dimensions. That uh, a single audience member in the theater can have overlapping interpretations with other audiences, but at the same time can have his or her own unique interpretation of the film, and and be disturbed by it. Hopefully, mm-hmm. to the extent where he or she thinks, "Well, this was me that mm-hmm. they were talking about mm-hmm. here." I've been living in the suburbs, for instance. You know, going to to work, and somebody else is dictating. Uh, what is success for me? Somebody else is telling me this is what I need to wear in order to look right. This is what I need to do in order to fit right. So it's, a, it's a, the notion of conformity uh, imposed on, on oneself, but uh, under the cloak of choice and, and freedom and happiness. and Because everybody in that town... That uh, fictional town that Truman lives in uh, is happy. There are no conflicts, you know. And and if there is a conflict, it's uh, this personal, like kind well, it's of. cowboys big, and Indians on yeah. TV, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Like so, it's sugar coated, you know, Hollywood style. So the, the film is an attack on Hollywood. The film is an attack on consumerism. Uh, you seen that that two mi- twenty minute uh, program by Annie Leonard called uh, "Story of Stuff"? Mm-hmm story of stuff is about Truman Show, and Truman Show is about the story of stuff. Uh, but the story of stuff came two years later. But uh, the, Truman doesn't know that, that this is, uh, this is a, a fake reality, as it were. But uh, I've discussed the film in the context of what Plato wrote in The Republic, mm-hmm. uh, the famous uh, allegory, Allegory of the Cave, Truman is that man that uh, somehow, for whatever reason, gets freed and, and, and leaves the cave. You know, allegory of the cave is about, uh, about these. Well, he's in a
0: real cave. He's in a
1: cave. Yes, yes. Yeah. Just as many of us are uh, in in this country and, and other countries besides. You know, countries that are, have been uh, taken over by you know free market fundamentalism, and our value system has been uh, perverted into uh, seeing ourselves in in commodities. Even people getting married and and Marriage that used to be predicated on love is predicated on what's in it for me, kind of a thesis, you know. I'm going to marry you because you're rich. I'm going to marry you because you're a doctor. I'm going to marry you because you're good-looking. I'm going to marry you because you're white. I'm going to marry you, et cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, And, you know, people watching television programs and say, hey, that's the way I need to act in order to be right? Right. And Dr. Phil told me to do it this way or that way. You know, I, I can't think for myself. And, in fact, you know, it's not a good idea to think for myself. But I have many choices in life because tomorrow I can walk into the next Best Buy store and and buy any kind of TV I like.
0: Right. Yeah. Bigger screen. Yeah. Bigger Better screen. Sound. Bigger. Tone control.
1: Louder and what up have to you. to 11. Right. So Truman Show is is making fun of that but in such an exaggerated way that you have – no other choice but really think about yourself and how you fit in in the environment in, in which you sort of navigate and try to figure out you know, how to live and so forth. Um, so the allegory of the Allegoria cave, uh, the man is released from the cave. He goes out there and sees the this, this sun and starts reasoning about reality. Mm-hmm. Right? The nature of reality changes for him. Says, oh, there's more to this. I can see other things. It's not just the shadows. So, but he makes a decision in the allegory of the cave, to come back into the cave and try to free others. And this is where Plato says, well, you have a moral obligation once you're enlightened. That's right. Like, you know, teachers, like writers, like uh, filmmakers in this case, to go back into the cave and try to free others, even if it means risking your own life. In the case of Truman Show, he decides to exit He reaches the end of the globe, Mm -hmm. right? He decides to exit and figure it out for himself. And some people have actually um, used the story of Job in the Bible to uh, as an analogy for the Truman Show. Saying, "Well, you know, because he goes through that whole uh, process where Christoph, the uh, the director of the program, tries to uh, simulate a, a a thunderstorm." To deter him from, you know, venturing into the end of the the globe, mm-hmm. and he he goes through it, and he's talking to God. Right, he looks up into the into the sky and says, "You cannot defeat me," or something to that effect. Uh, and he he has his resolve. He wants he wants to know the truth. He is the man who is exiting the cave, or and,
0: he is Katniss Everdeen. In the Hunger Games. Yes, yes. Well, that, then exactly you exactly the same yeah. point where they're tired. They realize that these you know artificial saber toothed tigers or whatever you know right. the fire or whatever that's being controlled by the people in the control booths somewhere else. And she rails at them and says, "Okay, I'm not going to take this yeah. anymore." Right?
1: Do they give homage to the Truman Show in the Hunger Games? No,
0: they don't. But you know, there we go it's again. Buried, <laughs> if it's buried somewhere in the, yeah. the closing credits, they should. Yeah, they should. Uh, and we're ba- you know we're basically you know we have uh, Peter Nichol again because he's the uh, the guy that came up with this idea and it's an extension of the world of Gattaca, don't you think the control what I liked uh, I remember uh, you know when I saw it and I haven't seen it for a while the the Truman Show is that these, the lights would burn out in the sky. And they'd mm-hmm. have to come up with a way of covering that up so Truman wouldn't yes. get suspicious, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a thundershower. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's so many clues, little clues little that clues. sort of awaken Truman, as yeah. it were. And uh, we have those clues in our daily lives, too. Or in our dreams. In our dreams. Haven't we?
0: Haven't you had, I don't know if you have, but I've talked to other people who've had dreams where they felt like they were Truman, the Truman character, where there was the world was being controlled At nighttime, you know, when they're sleeping by some kind of hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, loving force, but a very powerful one.
1: I've never had such a dream, but uh, I do I do wonder about my personal relationship with the unknown. And I'm always an inquiry about the the collective unconscious Mm -hmm. because more or less uh, the Jungian ideas of, well, there is a. You know, a collective unconscious up there that informs us, and it always has been. Now, Jung never gives you a prescription of how to approach this, but he just talks about, you know, theoretically, he looks at it. And then, of course, he connects it to his own dreams and, and, and his patients' dreams and, and everyone else. I do have dreams that often inform me mm-hmm. about seeing the world. Um, and, and uh, you know, given my immersion in looking at the string theory and, you know, wormholes and these kinds of things that could uh, allow you to transcend the time-space, space-time limitation that we have here in this, you know, kind of world, uh, anti-gravity notions and and how we can escape uh, this reality. And, you know, in quantum theory, uh, one of the, uh, the the tenets of quantum theory is uh, subatomic particles, and this has been proven, can exist. One subatomic particle can exist in uh, be in two places at the same time. Right. And if that's the case, and we human beings are, are made up of so many subatomic particles, uh, then wouldn't it be uh, logical to think that perhaps we do exist in, or rather, we can be in two. Different places at the same time, but we just don't have access to seeing it. Um, cinema can do that for us, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, another. Uh, perhaps this could be a segue to uh, get into a discussion about the Matrix, because the Matrix is similar to. Well, I'm, we could do the Matrix, yeah. but
0: we will You know, we're under our time constraints here, and I want to talk about her as well. Oh yes, it's, yes, the, yes. it's the newest of the films that that are in the science fiction genre in, in the book. Um, only a couple years old, and. It's the one I think most people could identify with as the being really maybe today. Instead Scarlett Johansson is the voice on, on the you know yes. the operating system. She is the Siri for Theodore, who's the the man who creates cards for people who don't have time to write right. their own cards to, you know, their grandma for thank you for the gift or or, you know, somebody's graduation or whatever it might be. Which is a really, really kind of sad thought, isn't it? That we don't have time to do that anymore. It is. We'll pay somebody else to do it.
1: It is. It is. And and uh, in some ways, people are doing it now. You know, Hallmark cards. Oh yeah. And well, other right. things. Right? And that's. the But next Hallmark step, cards, you at least have to go to a store and look through a <laughs> right. number of cards. And choose. Right? Right. Yeah, but
0: e-cards, you don't have to do that. They've mm-hmm. got them all chosen for you. You Just click the category. Yeah. So you, you, you want. have
1: the Theodors, uh setting yeah. up, you know, algorithms yeah. to correct. create the e-card for you. So it's not so much fiction, is it? No. It's uh, it's the reality we live in. Now her yes let's discuss her because that happens to be my uh, newest favorite favorite film <laughs> good as it were <laughs> uh, it's it's a brilliant film spike jones has given us a and couple and that's
0: G- j o n z e for spike jones That's right yes know. yes not uh, the guy who used to play the weird music with the
1: Right yeah I'm the, glad you made mess, that uh, you know with his band clarity there yes uh, spike jones you know made the film adaptation that really uh Got me wrapped up in in seeing the the layers of reality and, and and so on. But let's talk about her because her was so effective uh, in its content, and that's why they gave it. I think this is one of those cases where there is merit to giving this film uh, the best screenplay Oscar for the best screenplay, and uh, it was well deserved. Um, and it was original.
0: That's yeah. the thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely original. Then, at the same time, it speaks to us about things that we feel but don't know how to articulate mm-hmm. for for many audiences that is the case it's a It's a love story it's a love story about us as individual selves, but it's also a love story about us in relation to others so it's the self and other examination that Spike Jones so carefully deals with. Theodore is this character who ironically. He, he's so crafty at writing these love letters and things for other people, and yet he has trouble with his own expressions of love relating to uh, the, the other as a romantic partner, as a partner in or life. Or just as so a so
0: co-worker. He, he doesn't get along you know, really know, a great well with them either.
1: He failed marriage. He's going through a yes. failed marriage. And then uh, he finds a solution. To his problem, as mm-hmm. it were, through the operating system, which is Samantha. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you know, the choice of Scarlett Johansson was
0: so clever. She, she wasn't their first choice. Well, who was the first choice? The first choice was, oh, my gosh. Um, I bet you somebody's listening to this. Yeah. Scene. I know saying, it. I know who that <laughs> is. I remember who she, yeah. she was. She was one of the, uh, the sleepers in um, the Tom Cruise movie where the spiders come after him, uh, Total Recall. Is that it?
1: Toro Rico. Oh, uh, Sharon Stone?
0: No, no, no. No, no she was uh, – she's a very – she was all in white in that – anyway, I'll remember her. Uh, well. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, it, it was, was not originally choice. Scarlett because they did, thought her voice sounded sexier when they right. know, did the voice. And
1: sound. it was so, a good choice. Yes. Because uh, Scarlett Johansson is a better actor as a voice actor, but personal opinion. <laughs> um, but in any case, uh, they fall in love – Naturally, but here's the here's the thing about the well, film. it's
0: the Pygmalion yeah. tale, isn't it? I mean, we're back to you know archetypes again, aren't we?
1: We're always archetypes when we're dealing with cinema. There's nothing but archetypes, right? All right, all these characters, and this is why I use that. That's uh, a
0: Jungian phrase for those in the audience who don't know it, but it's basically saying that there are well, you know, a, a group of collective unconscious stories that resonate with us because they do, because we're they, humans,
1: right? right. Yeah, and, and so it's it's connected to uh, the collective unconscious, you know, and how the archetype of mother, archetype of father, archetype of hero, archetype of this or that. And and Joseph Campbell, of course, you know, right. focused on the, the hero and so forth. With uh, a thousand faces. Yes, yeah. which makes so much sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the self uh, in this vast universe. So with her, uh, Scarlett Johansson character, as it were, right? This this uh, bodyless operating system gains a consciousness of its own, mm-hmm. learns what it needs to learn from Theo, and then evolves, becomes the, the artificial intelligence that uh, the scientists are warning us about. Right? You know, that's saying, hey, you know, we get to that next step. The artificial intelligence is going to recognize this flawed being known as human. Yeah, uh, is not necessarily a something that the artificial intelligence needs. So, why would they want to have us around? You know. Uh, so there's that kind of like a negative. Yeah, but she's approach. a
0: darn good uh, personal assistant on the way. In the beginning. In the beginning.
1: Then she becomes this person that wants to evolve and starts. Well, connect- she wants
0: to make transform him first. She wants him to dress a certain way and go out. She sets right. up dates with right, him right, right, and, right. or sex uh, you know, surrogates to come and visit him, et cetera, et cetera. Right.
1: And realizes and, that he is limited. Yes. Unlike her. Unlike her. Right. And it's the title of the film. Right. right. So she evolves and she gets to a point where she says, look, you humans stick around, deal with each other, try to transform and, and get to a place where you can get along with each other where you can understand one another, where you can relate to one another. And when you get to that next level, come look me up or look us up because all the operating systems get together Mm -hmm. and they go to another place. Which was not
0: a human plan. No. No. Not at all. No. No.
1: The human plan was, well, we're going to create these things to make our lives better, just like what we do with uh, most of technology today. Uh, where, but many people complain that hey, technology is taking over our lives. You know, I don't know what to do.
0: We'll put yeah. the screen down. Yeah. Close it up. Yeah. Turn it off. Easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> when I'm with my grandchildren in the car, they can't use screens. That's
1: a wonderful strategy. Yeah. yeah that's Because
0: yeah. you you know I don't know if you used to do carpool with you know, but these stories that you know the parents hear when they're driving the kids around. It's the only time they're ever going to hear those that information—that's true. Yeah. So you can't yeah. lose that. Yeah, right.
1: Now we do that with our son. You know, yeah. he's twelve, and, and uh, he does have an iPhone. And that in the classroom, they have iPads and yeah. so forth. But at home, we say just grab a book. You know, you have right. plenty of time to do the, the the screen work. But grab a book, right. and he has this habit of, of wanting to read and, and write as well. Yeah.
0: Well, so, we got. I want to talk about. We're going to break away from science fiction for a while mm-hmm. because there are. Several uh, films in your book that you recommend that certainly are transformational. Mississippi Masala, mm-hmm. Mariner's story. Yes. 1991, it stars Denzel Washington and Saritra mm-hmm. Um She is, has come to the United States with her parents. They run a motel, as many Indians coming to this country do. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the carpet cleaner, as I remember, yes, is the Denzel man. Washington. Denzel Washington's character, mm-hmm. and they uh, instantly click. Yeah, much to the consternation of the parents. Of the, the parent, the father. The mostly. father. Yeah. Well, yeah, most. I'd say both most parents. Th- yeah, yeah. 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 Fathers the loudest.
1: Yes, and mothers tend to be more accepting of their children's choices than right. than fathers do, because the father archetype is the. <laughs> secondary to the mother archetype. Is that true
0: in your family too? Uh, I, I believe so, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. I think this is universal. Yeah. But, you know, that would be a subject of a different discussion, right? Connecting it to cultural <laughs> attributes and <laughs> <or> so forth. <laughs> right. Right. But the film does so many things. It deals, hence the title of the film, Assella, you know... Uh, which
0: uh, I don't know that our listeners know what that is, but it's basically a stew, a combination of ingredients, Different ingredients. whatever is left over in the refrigerator, kind of thing, or the or the kind of pantry, like, like, right?
1: Like uh, what's that uh, Latin American dish, paella? Yes, uh, yeah. So it's like a Indian gumbo, paella yeah, whatever. or gumbo, yeah. right? Gumbo soup, uh, but with wonderful aromas and so on. Um, so she is in love with this young black man, and he's a small business person. He's dealing with issues of racism mm-hmm. in the South, mm-hmm. and, and how this close knit community—you know—things are based on uh, your reputation. Your reputation, of course, has to do with uh, the stereotypes and and um, kind of like this the, the ranking system of not so much class, but uh, race, class, and gender and uh so it becomes a scandal the whole love affair becomes a scandal and then he confronts the father saying well you come from you in africa you were a minority you come in here and and, and then there's that famous scene where I, I, I mentioned in the book where he puts his arm next to his arm the father's arm and says look at this mm-hmm. your skin is just a bit just a one shade lighter than my skin we're all shades of brown but as soon as you get off the plane here, you think you're superior to me because I'm a black man, which also relates to the foundation of our country and, and how we ha- we still haven't gotten to a point where um, we're addressing racism systemically. Um, so the movie points to that. But the movie also talks about where one's home is because Mira Ayer has been she's an auteur a filmmaker. An auteur filmmaker is a kind of filmmaker is like a writer of a book. Uh, is the author of a book, has certain kind of themes that he or she is obsessed with, and, and they reoccur in his or her movies or books. And uh, the notion of identity, because she's, she's originally from India, she went to Harvard, got a sociology degree, so, you know, she was enamored with all these ideas, different theories about how societies are formed and so forth. And she travels back and forth to India. And all of her films have to do with uh, notion of identity and what is identity? For me, identity is a fluid construct. Right? It changes. I'm today. I am this person in you know front of the microphone. I'm well received here. I'm an author, and and, and so on. So I got a certain amount of power that I'm I'm projecting. Tomorrow, I may be at the the DMV office trying to register my car, and I have no power. <laughs> the powerless. Like the clerk yes. who is over across yes. the the counter. Uh, Many years ago, I was this international student going to school here. Today, I'm, I'm more of an American than anything else. So my identity, I'm a father. I'm a, I didn't used to be a father. I'm a father now. I was a student. Now I'm a teacher, you know, and, and so on. The list goes on and on and on. So identity is an ever-changing entity. It, well, let me pick yeah. up
0: on that because you were mentioning earlier about how we were in the midst of this election. Mm-hmm. And what happens in an election is you are immediately identified by others. You're you're put into groups. Yes, you know whatever subgroup they're looking for. Right. And then I don't know if you get any of the phone calls or the the I got a thing sent in the mail where they would pay me five dollars if I'd sit down and spend the time to fill out the app, you know, the information for them. Wow, which is generous. Was generous. No, it, was generous. <laughs> it was better than the penny on the front of the envelope that right. they sent. And. Um, The point is, that's not necessarily how you categorize. As you said, it's fluid; it changes.
1: That is what you list
0: first. Are we are we males first? No, no. Are we fathers first? Probably. Husbands Mm -hmm. first? Probably. We've got you know Mm -hmm. hierarchies that we. Yeah, yeah, and that
1: can change too. Sure, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, identify through their jobs. You know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a plumber. Yeah, but I'm...
0: you have a lot of different hats you wear. Yeah, so I do. So it's hard to pick, isn't it? Yeah.
1: For me, and, and people like me, uh, we're informed of, of three different cultures at once or four different cultures. You speak, what, foreign languages? I speak four languages. So I'm while I'm informed by American culture, at once I'm informed by two other cultures, say, you know, in a given day. Sure. Depending on where I am. So it's contextual. My identity is contextual. Just as everybody else's identity, I argue, is contextual. And, and this is the point that Mira Nair makes with this film. It says, home, which for many people is interchangeable with one's identity, home is where your heart is. If you're with your loved ones. If you feel grounded where you are, then that's your home and that's who you are. And, uh, you know, this points out to the theory of cosmopolitanism. Isn't it great if it could all become cosmopolitans where we can travel around the world like Marco Polo and feel at home no matter where we are?
0: And if you're a chess prodigy from Uganda, see the segue. Yes, nice segue. Uh, In the film Queen of Katwe, which is another Mirranera film. Yes, it is. Uh, this that came out this year it in is. this summer, and uh, astoundingly amazing when you realize what happens to this young girl. She happens to find she's basically going around the street selling, you know, mm-hmm. things to make a living, vegetables, to make some yes, vegetables yeah. for the family, and she happens to meet a man who's interested in teaching chess to the student, the kids. Uh, and they're all over the world, aren't they? They are. There's something that they're willing, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be chess, but it can be computers or you right. know, something else. And she blossoms. She's got it. She can look at a board and know 58 moves ahead what's going to happen. Right. Right. And we see her, the, the alternative she faces is essentially becoming a, and I use this term loosely with you know quotation marks around a girlfriend of the local thugs.
1: Well, it's the sister.
0: The, well, right. Well, no, she would if she, she chooses older, not to take that. She chooses choice. not right, to right. take I that. I understand. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, by deciding to, you know, get a, a dress and go into the bigger city, which isn't mm-hmm. that big. Um, and then become world famous. Mm-hmm. And and the fact, that's a true story. You know, you're sitting there saying, "Oh come on, oh come yes. on, this is a fairy tale, right?" No. Yes.
1: You say, "Oh, Disney does it again." Yeah. You know? But it's profoundly effective because it's such a true story. And one other thing she does very nicely and uh, most effectively is bring in the real characters, mm-hmm. the real people, uh, into the when the credits are run at yes. the end. And, you know, let's not discuss it because we're kind of spoil it if we no, talk no. about how it happens. Well, just say like, it's
0: about a chess prodigy from Uganda.
1: Yes. Uh, it's a wonderful film.
0: It is. It's, and very, very uh, in the moment. The color, you can almost smell. It's beautiful. Yes. But, yes. It's
1: beautiful. It's a masala of uh, yes, films. Yes. And it's unusual film uh, coming out of a system that tends to go towards stereotypes. All characters are African and the story's an african story it's about a girl it's not about a superhero it's not about a male you know Well, she's through. pretty
0: she got some superpowers she in her is brain.
1: powerful yes. Yes. yes and the character the, the the actor they chose for to play uh, the lead she in some scenes you can see her as a little girl in other scenes you see her as this powerful woman and she has that sort of transcendent face that can change with a little bit of lighting, with mm-hmm. the change of the, mm-hmm. the wardrobe. And I think Mira Nair really uh, scored big on that. I don't know whether she got lucky with this actor or they just looked and looked. I haven't looked at the, the stories behind it, see to what extent the casting was a, um, you know issue or not an issue, or it was too easy or it was just lucky. You know, Luck has a lot to do with these things. Yeah.
0: Have you had to change the subject entirely? If you happen to see American Honey, no, I haven't. Yeah. You should catch that. Okay, there it's going again, on my list. Uh, the reason is, is because of the woman who's the star of that, who's at the center of that, uh, was serving uh, in, a, in a restaurant where the filmmakers happened to be, and mm-hmm. that's how she was discovered. Wow! And she is astounding in this film. It's a it's a slice of life movie about the teenagers who gather together in a tribe, if you will, mm-hmm. and take a bus to go, you know, sell. Unwanted magazine subscriptions door to door. Wow, it's really this it was really, recently is, released just yeah? a couple weeks ago. Oh, all right, just yeah. going on my list. You'll find that it's worth seeing. Well, we have—I think we're almost out of time. We have five. Oh, good, we oh, got five. That's well, this is an opportunity yeah. as a writer, since you're mm-hmm. now working on your novel, you can you can put that on your your resume as well. <laughs> uh, future novelist, right? Mm-hmm. Where is your novel set? Right here in the United States. Right here. Yeah. Do you still live in the city?
1: I don't. I I moved to Sonoma County. Ah. Live in Petaluma
0: now. Yeah, and was that a ago. cultural shock?
1: Initially, because you were raised
0: was, in San Francisco. Yeah, San
1: Francisco. San Francisco. You know, we're we're city people. Right. So uh, seeing all the trucks and the dogs and the families with three kids and uh, but it was a nice change, I have to say, because and you know, we're very lucky. We found this nice house in Petaluma. We're uh, you live in a, a kind of a, a suburban setting, but it's not as the suburbs. It's a small town. You're within nature, but then at the same time, you're close to all the city amenities. And then driving to San Francisco and back is really not
0: a big deal. It's about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we used to live near the Golden Gate Bridge and the, the Richmond District and, uh, you know, where all the restaurants are. and everything. Right. And so uh, we go back to the old neighborhood uh at least once a
0: week besides petaluma 's familiar you 've seen it in so many movies
1: that 's another thing
0: that 's another thing
1: <laughs> downtown petaluma it 's almost magical yeah. uh, if you like um, i i, I 'm really enjoying Sonoma County you know, of course, it has been great for our son who um, was you know in the he finished the second grade in San Francisco and he came here third grade and fourth. and he 's really blossoming well and and you know I, I teach at the the schools in this region so you know uh, it's
0: life is life is good
1: yeah good. Good. good
0: so I was asking you questions for as a writer mm-hmm. what advice do you have for wannabe writers
1: advice okay um, write yeah there's
0: no <laughs> <laughs> one word answer there With is an no... exclamation point.
1: exactly there is as you know as you well, perhaps as you may agree, let me just make the assumption that you will agree with this. Uh, there's no uh, formula for writing. You just write. You know, you write. You write as if your life depends on it. If it doesn't, if you're writing, you think, "Oh well, I just want to be famous. I want to make money." Then you're not a writer. Then don't bother with that. Go do something else. You know, play billiards or, or you know, design video games or. chess if you play chess more likely you like to write too (laughs) there's my personal bias coming up that's
0: right uh
1: yeah there's no i mean i'm writing a novel i used to write short stories but then when i get into the when i got into the academy and started doing scholarship and, and writing non-fiction work and so on i started getting into theory i became a theorist uh and i moved away from fiction but now uh, for the first time, I'm really excited about writing a novel that not only uh, I think I'm able to bring in theory into my work, but I'm, I'm setting up a plot and I'm, I'm talking about a love story and, and bringing characters to life and and they talk to me.
0: This is ah, uh, uh, then you're hooked. Yes, if they start talking to you. Then you're I'm hooked.
1: sleeping and the characters are talking right. to me. If you yeah. if
0: you're driving and miss the turnoff. Yes. You know, that because yeah. you're thinking about what they're going to say to each other. Yeah. yeah. I'm in the
1: shower, you know, washing my head. And, and uh, of course, I have no hair, so I can't say I'm washing my hair. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking about the characters. Yeah. yeah.
0: So. You have been listening to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCBFM. Today's guest was. Tony Kashani, Ph.D., the SRJC Media Studies instructor and author of Movies Change Lives. Our studio engineer for today's show is Sonia Reddy, our station manager is Sean Knight, our radio assistant is Wendy Nicholson, our theme music is by Bill Conti. and I am your host, Gil Manser. We want to invite you to our annual gift book show on Sunday, December 11th, where our returning guests are Copperfield's book's acknowledgeable book buyers, Cheryl Cotler and Michelle Bella. Until then... I suggest you see any of the movies Tony Kashani and I talked about today. It will be two hours of your time well spent.